Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Salam. Born on the record. This is Minister Shadid bin Israel. Travel of Judah. And welcome to Thursday night fellowship find the time. Now it's 7 o'clock in Eastern Standard Time. 6 o'clock p.m. Central. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys for all uh, who all showed up uh, this evening. Many may come in, and that's fine. Uh, uh, I mean, many may come in a little bit after the call, but that's fine as well. Uh, we are basically now coming off of our break, uh, our, our consecration, and I hope that, you know, for those who are new, um and have taken part in this month's consecration. I hope that it was extremely beneficial. Um, because I know that you know we only do it, mo you know mostly. Well, we only usually do it once out of the year. Um, when you think about all the things that you have pretty much uh, put in or done to your body. Shalom, Tanisha. Shalom, 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 brother Gavin. I'm sorry about that. No shalom. problem. Emmanuel. Shalom. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Brother Trevon. Shalom. Shalom. Um, shalom. As I was saying, uh, you know, we only get once uh, out of the year to actually uh, cleanse our body. Uh, some may get in the habit of doing it a little bit more often than others, but um, I think that, you know, for the most part, this month uh, definitely is something that we could uh, probably do a little bit more out of the year. Uh, but then again, that's, you know, that's just my opinion only because I know that, you know, we do so much to our bodies. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to open up the floor uh, for anybody who has anything that they uh, want to talk about. I just say your name for on the record. Shalom, um, brother. This is Brother Gavin. Tribe yes, sir. Benjamin. Yes, sir. How the family been doing? Everybody good? Yeah, I'm I'm good over here, brother. Everybody else? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Uh, there is a – I was looking at my phone as I was – I shouldn't be doing that, but, you know, when you get into a, a low traffic area and I was keeping my phone when I was going to the gas station. And I've seen something that says, uh, uh, what do you call it, another earthquake in New, New Zealand? In that region? Has anybody oh. been asked about that? 7.1? Oh. Yeah, it's a big one. Wow. Wait, 7.1? Yeah, that's like <laughs> stand up in the middle of the room with nothing over your head, earthquake. Mm. Hey. Go, go outside when it's far away from a building. And hope you don't get wild about Earth. 
I mean, yeah. wow. That's, uh, that's kind of dangerous. So morning, but... yeah, I, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's scary because you have this earthquake that's happened, then you had the flooding yep. in Louisiana. Now we have Hurricane, I think it's Hermine or something like that, about to yeah. Florida, and then we had lightning strikes that killed a number of reindeer and, and um, wow. cattle in two different places, and Lord knows what else is going on. Wow. Yes, yeah, a lot happened. A lot happened. And uh, these are just, you know, I guess you'd say just signs of the times, you know, that there's a there's a shift going on in the earth. And I just think that, you know, nature is a very uh, powerful thing. It's a very beautiful thing because, you know, many of us have gotten to the point to where, you know, we only believe in the things that we see and we don't believe in the things that we can't see. So the things that we can't see uh, is the thing that we don't believe in terms of we don't believe that nature can be as cool as it can be, you know, because we don't see, we don't look at trees and see it, you know, move or beat anyone up or we don't see rivers, you know, going and, you know, jumping on anybody. But these things, have been studied and observed by our ancestors and our, uh, you know, and our enemies or people who, you know, uh, are are scholars and all these other different things. And they know what, you know, what we have just, you know, in terms coming to find out about life, that nature is, nature is it. (laughs) This Uh is a real damn deal. And, you know, it is when we start understanding that maybe things will come into, like, it'll fall right in place. I mean, as you can see, there's a lot of things happening in nature. There's a video of uh, some brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. A sister had posted a protest in Puerto Rico where uh, they were, she had stated that they were cutting down uh, they they shut down the schools in Puerto Rico. People were already leaving because of the uh, living conditions. They don't have any money, and they were protesting because of the simple fact that they were going to whoever they were going to place in office now was going to they were going to lower the minimum wages to four dollars and something odd cents. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. They can't even live off of that. What is four dollars and something odd cents? So they were out there protesting, and, you know, she spoke on, you know, the protests in, you know, America in terms of African-Americans, and she was saying, we're in this together. We got to, something has got to happen, you know. You know, these people aren't leaving because, our, you know, brothers and sisters in, you know, Puerto Rican are, are not leaving because they want to. They're leaving because the resources are scarce. So um, it's there's a lot of shaking going on in this kingdom and for you know those who are who don't have their eyes open they may be in for some for a really rude awakening and I'm not just talking about the earthquake and the lightning and the storms and the hurricane I'm talking about like the, the I'm talking about 
all the other different things economically that's going on, government-wise and stuff. Therefore, really rude awakening. But aside from all that, does anybody have anything else that they want to put on the record? Just state your name. Yes, yes, yes. Put on the record is the Aki Manual. Hey, can, I, um, can, I, can I throw something in there with that? Because I think that's kind of ironic, uh, what you're speaking about. And, you know, when you think about self-government and the responsibility that people have to all that's around them and having dominion, you know, every country has failed into a, a welfare state. And what it looks like is that these governments, first of all, they weren't designed to just be to have the people in a welfare state. Even when you look at the Constitution, they have restrictions. There's only so much they can do. We fell into this welfare state of mind, this welfare system, that the government can't even fund and sustain themselves. So, you know, when I'm hearing what you're saying, it almost sounds as if they don't, they don't, they can't feed the people. They can't do this no more. It's not sustainable. So if if the people don't take back their power, but in their responsibilities, they're gonna suffer. You know what yeah. I mean? And it just sounds it sounds like that's what's happening. So it's as a, it's bad for the individual who doesn't who's lazy and who doesn't want to do nothing for themselves. But it's a great opportunity for people to kind of regain their independence. Um, you may want to call it your sovereign. Uh, rights or whatever you want to call it, it's just the perfect opportunity to do for self and as a collective body, association, whatever you want to call it, body politic, government, this is the perfect time to seize the moment because if you're able to do these things for yourself, I don't think they're going to stop you because it's either you do your thing or it's going to be mayhem. And for the for the public, it's not beneficial for everything to just go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's, before I say anything, does anybody else have anything that they want to add on that? Because that's, he just made it a very excellent point. Anybody? Well, I, I could, uh, this is brother, for the record, brother Gavin. Probably yeah. A minute. Uh, just to add a little bit, just to, you know, this has been going on for a while with, uh, you know, the Puerto Rican state, which is really a commonwealth. Mm-hmm. America, and uh, you know, when I was in the military too, you know, there's I realized we have a that's not only in Commonwealth to the United States. We got, um, if anyone knows, uh, we call it Guam, the island Guam, or have heard of the island Guam? Yeah, yeah, it's in the Pacific realm, but anyway, it's, it's another island that we have as a Commonwealth. And, and um, yeah. I'm sorry. And isn't District of Columbia also a Commonwealth as well? Yes. Okay. It is. But I'm just stating that because when I went to Guam, the state of the economy, and it's a small island like Puerto Rico, small is even smaller than Puerto Rico. When I was in the service and stopped there, they got everything like. Just like Puerto Rico has, you know, like the Walmarts and the, the Ford and the banks, all the, you know, the banks that we know, HB, my bank that of that time was there, HSBC, you know, um, Citibank, you know, all of these so-called United States stores and banks and everything we see here is there. But 
they don't have a, a, a an economy that's diving or crashing like Puerto Rico. Wow. Where people have to run to America. Oh my God, we got to get out of here. The state of a, the state of Guam is, you know, is going going under. You got people migrating to Guam from other islands. You got more Japanese in Guam than Guamanians. Hmm. So <laughs> we got to really redirect where we what we're dealing with here. It's not the island is not failing itself. Like brother uh, said, you know, it's the people who designed the system. Right. So, uh, and when I was in Guam, just to throw something in there, it was, oh, my God, you can look out the hotel window and see the fishes in the water. I'm telling you, clear as day. But, I mean, you know, we got to find an island for ourselves where we got to be like, you know, hey, listen. We want to repartiate or whatever. We got exactly. to you know, that's the bottom line. I mean, we can't, you know, keep pointing the fingers and blaming and, oh, what are we going to do? The state of hysteria. Oh, my God, the economy is going. Come on. Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're doing that, but, you know, specifically. But we really need to strategically plan for uh, what's next, what's coming next, because, um, you know, just like uh, you know, Puerto Rico. I don't know if anyone knows. Is an island that we have a general governor over there that governs the island for us. And when I say us, I mean the United States of America's economy through commerce does business through, um, you know, has control of the policies and the social system in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. why Puerto Rico, you can go live in Puerto Rico and retire there and still get the same benefits as you are in the United States if you were to stay in that system as a citizen of the United States, incorporated. So mm-hmm. another thing is uh, I, the, the island of Puerto Rico has been, we be do a lot of offshore business there. So, you know, when it comes to laundering money, it's very, it's, it's, a, it's a high place of doing that. And the social security system we have in the United States is actually administered <laughs> there. So there's a lot of stuff that that island represents for us. You know, having an offshore territory for us to process money and do business exchange and commerce. That's why they don't want to make it an, uh, a, a, a state like the United States. They don't have their own constitution? Or do they have to, the constitution has to be created uh, for, or they have to basically be placed underneath the constitution for it to be a constitutional state? Because I'm thinking that's just how it works. Because if they're a commonwealth, I know they don't have a constitution. They basically have a confederation, if I'm not mistaken. Is that how it works, brother? I'm not really sure. But if we can going, we can I'm going based off of some of the stuff I'm pulling from political science. And that's kind of what I right. remember. I know if there's a commonwealth, they don't have a constitution. 
Um, they just pretty much have a confederation. Um, it's really interesting because I thought right. I'm pouring on the record to finish Tribal Judah because when for SSR News, I did a report on when they had um, one of their payments due for the debt that they have, and it was due this past June or July, which most people were saying, of course, they were going to fail to meet the deadline. And they said that Puerto Rico um, actually was in the midst of losing their sovereignty. This was according to Economist Magazine. And they wanted to fight to remain a sovereign state. So um, I'm sure that there are a number of contracts that are put in place between amongst them and us. And it might be, especially because I know tourism is a very, very big business. Um, for Puerto Rico. And I'm sure there's some sort of maybe tax levies, if you will, that the U.S. probably imposes on them for that industry. And then I'm sure also produce is probably a big mark, a, a big industry for the island as well. And um, I'm sure there must be I'm sister, I'm sorry to cut you, but it's, it's really not. They still import most of their fruits and vegetables, like Jamaica. Jamaica's about to turn into, like, a third, you know, uh, uh, it became a third-world country economically, just like Puerto Rico has been unstabilized. But I'm sorry to cut you. Uh, no, 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 no. Not at all. Don't, don't apologize. I'm just wondering what kind of contracts are in place that's bringing them dry because I can't understand why they could, you know, back in times of antiquity before the revived Roman Empire moved into this new world, they were able to sustain themselves, and now all of a sudden they aren't able to do so. And I was kind of amazed because I was reading up on Jamaica. I didn't even know that Jamaica had its own stock exchange. Um, yeah, yeah, Jamaica has its own stock exchange. So Jamaica, I mean, you would know more, I guess, because you have family there. I don't know if you're getting news in off of the island, but just from the Caribbean newspapers that I've been getting for the last month, they make it seem like they're doing all right. You know, um, they... They're doing it, all right for the queen because you got to understand that they still a British monarch from the Queen. Mm-hmm. And they're not totally free. Mm-hmm. Because they got two things going wrong for them. When they became independent, they got two loans from the IMF. Mm-hmm. And that put a strain oh. on how they distribute and how they import goods and services for the island itself. Because the British Isle was one of the number one export nations that was, you know, receiving bananas and sugarcane, sugarcane. refined sugarcane, which would, which was, which we know as sugar table sugar. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and now, since Chiquita bananas and Dole bananas has taken over the market, 
as I mean, well, the reason why they have dominated the market for the bananas and pineapples is because they went in cahoots with the IMF and other international banking systems to control and strangle these island economies after they became independent. If you go online or you know anything about history about the West Indies, half of the West Indian islands got independence from England around the same year, 1962, 1963, 1964, back to back to back to back. And the reason is being because it was a shift in the in the world economy. So I won't go into that. That's another discussion. But my whole point is, um, since Jamaica took these loans in order to to pay off certain many many debts, that became into a conglomerated debt for the island. And now they're putting all that debt on top of people, the taxpayers. Now the taxpayers are not. They're not even earning. Minimum wage, half of Jamaica is uh, um, below poverty right. when, mm-hmm. when it comes to income earning. So, so you're putting a debt on top of people who some don't even have legitimate jobs to pay this debt off mm. as taxpayers. So that's why you see them robbing and stealing and cutting each other up for, for a dollar. Oh, did you hear? I don't know if you were on the line when I, when I brought up that. No, where did I put that? I think I might have put it in the newsletter. I don't know, Brother Cedric, if you can remember where it was talking about how the United States and the Caribbean were were forming a new um, drug police force, uh, police task force. No, I didn't know. It's true. It's Jamaica. They already got it on fourth. Yeah, man. They are like cracking down. And I know I'm sure you guys are hearing about all the stuff that's going on with Haiti and how they're just like, they're screwing them dry with no Vaseline over there. Like, you're supposed to give them money for the earthquake. And Hillary Clinton just jacked that. There's supposed to be another. Like, they're in Haiti digging for gold. I think we win. We went over that maybe three weeks ago. They were doing that ever since. I went to Haiti for, I went to three months in Haiti when I was in the military. And this was in 1999 from 2000. Guess what we were there for, folks? Gold? (laughs) We were taking everything out of there that's the United States, closing all the bases down, per se. But taking all the goods that we had on these bases, all our supplies, all our equipment, washing all the trucks down and cleaning up all our supplies and shipping them out to Puerto Rico. Wow. You've got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden, years later, you hear about that so-called house of Aristide. Wait, you, you hear about the what? Say that again. The, the ousting of the Prime oh, Minister Aristide. Yeah. And after that, that. Then after that, you hear about an earthquake. Yeah. Which hit the center of the biggest city on the island that has the most largest population of, you know, unemployed, uh, underpoverished. And if you see the way they were living prior to the earthquake, it'll make you cry. I mean, I'm dri- we drive into the villages to get to the port from our base, and 
all you see is a sea of shanty homes, like these. Oh, God. I'm talking about, like, you guys seen the movie uh, Bad Boys Part 2 when they were crashing yeah. through those houses? Yeah. Zombie. That's actually what you see, basically, in the mm. majority of the city. Mm. Okay. You know, and when when we were driving on one of the streets, I'm looking at these people taking baths right in front of their house with the gutter water, not running water, like stream water. I'm talking about the oh, gutter no. water that's running that's going to go into the sewer. <sighs> they take a bucket mm. and scoop the water. And the little baby boys and girls are, you know, getting washed down by their parents. Wow. But as I go up to the hilltop, you see the beautiful, nice community. As you go more and more up into the hill, you know, because we did some drinking. Um, they're washing the rich people's dirty water. Pretty much. I mean, it's it's sad. I mean, it's just. It, 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 it's because of, I, I had to ask them, I was like, What's, why, why is this like this? And they were like, what happened is a lot of the, the leaders, you know, corrupt, with a corrupt mindset, used to take the money that you could get, you know, from international governments or, you know, international uh, um, investments, I guess, and they would leave the island and go live in France, take that money. And leave behind these these needs that they need, you know, a sewage system, an adequate, you know, um, what do you call it, uh, traffic lights. They didn't have tra- the traffic lights in the major city of part of town. <coughs> this one guy blowing his whistle, <laughs> directing traffic in the middle of a square. Wow. And the traffic lights exist. They just didn't work. And then they got these these. I want to say, I don't know if anybody ever been to a parade, you know, like those West Indian parades or those floats. Yeah. In a parade that you would see. You know how they hang off the truck? You know, yeah. like people hanging. That is the ba- that's a bus system that they have in, in, out there. Wow. It's called a tap tap. Yeah, it's called a tap. I don't know if it's improved ever since that time because that was just, that's more than. 10, 15 years now. It's 1999, so um, they call it tap-tap. And they used to beg, you know, like when they used to, some of the workers that worked on the base, you know, when they were leaving, they were like, do you got money for tap-tap? Please help me, sir. Give me money for tap-tap. You know, so they could get on the bus to get home. But it was just crazy, man. I was like, ah, man. And they know when you get paid when you go into town because it's like, you know, for the military, we get paid the 1st and the 15th. And I used to buy some things that, you know, we used to go to the uh, the hagglers, you know, in, in town to the, uh, almost like a, what do you want to call it, the market, you know, where they, they sold all the craft-made, handmade wood carvings. And they made leather bags into masks, face masks that I got, and wood carving. These guys are so creative, man. They're so, I love them, man. They, they, they're beautiful. Beautiful people. Man. They'll take a piece of leather bag and make, you know what I mean, like a a mask that you would see hung up in, in a museum. That's awesome. And they would shellac it to make it hard. And I'm like, wow, this is, I bought stuff that was 
way below the, the money price that it was. You would price it up here, you know what I mean? Right. And and ship it back home because the um, New York at the time, you know, um, New York was considered to be the central hub for when you ship stuff out of Haiti and you want to ship it to different places in the United States. If you lived in another state out of New York, it still goes to the the main hub, which is in the United, uh, which is in New York. Uh, and since it was free, I was always shipping stuff home for free because <laughs> I lived in I'm from New York. So send home boxes and stuff, you know, that my mother could get. And, um, you know, you go into town and there's this woman I used to buy from her. She said, she used to call me bourgeois. Bourgeois, why you, you don't buy from me today? Eh, eh. <laughs> we know you got <laughs> I was like, come on, you know, I got to go to, I got to spread the love not only to your booth. You don't come to my booth, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was cool. I loved it. I, I loved the interaction. Man. I loved it. But, uh, went to the beaches. The beaches are beautiful. Oh my God. Pristine beaches, you know, uh, cabanas on the beach, you know, poolside on the beach. Great. <laughs> but only those who got money could, could really enjoy the enjoy beauty it. of that country. And uh, I went to go visit uh, my niece on her mother's side. They're from Haiti. So I got to visit her family, you know, her grandmother. So I got to enjoy that that part of town. It was, you know, she lived in, like I said, in a more middle-class community. So it wasn't really as bad as we're, you know, down in the port, near, near the port of Port-au-Prince part, part of town. And then my, one of my staff sergeants, his, that's where he's from originally. So he went to go visit his mom. We went out in town with her, to her house. He lived in, uh, like, you know, on the other side of the hills, which was, beautiful on her side too but you know i hate these images they keep showing on tv or this image they give us to to show that the whole country is poor and impoverished no it's dealing with the economy there's a third world economy not a third world agricultural country you know or or natural resource country you know so this this earthquake when you when you said it early i have to cut in because you know, and the, and the way that um, the Clintons have treated this whole system, that whole, you know, they're going to give back to Haiti and they want all this money, begging on TV to donate. And they're still, up to this day, haven't got that full money that they said they were supposed to get. You know, things are not still built according to what they plan to do. And, you know, you've got people still dying of um, the cholera that was going around. You know, it's sad because that earthquake is related to not only diamonds, but they got oil there. And gold. Yeah, not only the gold, but they got, you know, oil. You know, that they're trying to, and and not to go on a tangent, but G-O-D, if you ever heard the acronym, the G-O-D acronym of God, being called oil. gold, oil, and drugs, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the main driver of the ambassadorship of military power when we go to these countries of what we're negotiating to create, take, 
or to, you know, institutionalize. Hmm. There's a book. There's a book out there, you guys, and you can see a YouTube of it, of the guy speaking on it. You probably guys heard of it. Uh, we call it um, the Economic Hitman. No, I never heard of that. Yeah, look. If you look up the Economic Hitman, he wrote a book on it too. But what his mission was back in the fifties and sixties, all the way into the seventies, was to go to countries and negotiate, basically to tell the leaders they could either step down and do business with us, excuse me, do business or step down, or your life may be taken if you, we basically don't complete that negotiating, that negotiation with, with that, with him as an economic hitman. Because when, when we see the, the troops, you know, going in and, and, and they commit or declare war on a country, he said it's gone, it, it's already gone too far bad with, with, with him negotiating the deal, basically. By the time we see it on TV, you know, in the news, that we're going to go to war with a country or that some sort of leader had died or gotten it assassinated, it's gone to the point where it's already gone bad where he can't really rectify the issue. But I, I'll, I'll give the floor to others because I've been speaking for quite a while. i got more to say about it. No, but I mean, if you have if you have something to say, please feel free. I mean, the the one thing we don't one thing I would say is, you know, we learn so much from each other because all of us are not from the same place. Some of us are from, you know, from overseas. Some of us are from Central America. Some of us are from New York. Some of us are from Georgia, Minnesota, Kentucky, so on and so forth. So the more you know, we hear from others, you know, who are from different places. We can see things that they have seen, you know, you know, when, before they came here. You know, this educates everybody. So, no, but I mean, speak your mind. Continue with them. We, we're here. Excuse me. Yes, sir. We're on the record as let me ask this question, and I'm going to follow through with something. What is, what is the price for God's resources? Put a value on it. It's priceless in my, in my view, uh, Brother exactly. exactly. So have you noticed that all militaries are formed behind God's resources? We go to war for God's resources. Everything's about the the relationship with the most high and and defending that oil what's the price of oil you get it from the land it's infinity it's infinity for all god's resources so therefore it's valuable enough for any nation to say hey i will go to war for this and shed blood for this because once we conquer these resources then nothing nothing can stop us from financially benefiting from what God's resources can do. So, you know, I just kind of, you know, I just thought about that. Like, you know, these are, like, militaries are formed, and they fight over oil and all this stuff, but that all comes from the land. And, right. you know, 
once you can control the land where those resources come from, you can get rich infinity. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Just infinity wealth. Can I, I just know, throw something in there? Yeah, go I'll, ahead. I, yeah, I just wanted to I'll, throw I'll, that out there. Food, hey, before, right. anybody, no, you, before anyone, you can, before anyone you can keep talking, on, I just wanted to say, I was way, baby. I was way. <laughs> but hold on for a minute, brother, before you speak. Uh, Aki Manuel, uh, t- could you please text your brother the uh, login code? Or could you get you please give your brother the login code? I gave him the number. I just don't feel comfortable putting that type of information over Facebook. Okay, go ahead, brother. Uh, uh, Gavin, I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. I just I was just riding off of um, brother Emmanuel's coattail, and I was mentioning something called Abba's Way, you know, something that was uh, Brother Emmanuel had, you know, brought about, came up with, and designed. So he's the, I, I would give him the floor if he wants to talk on that, that archetype. He's the architect of that whole, uh, that whole idea. So I don't want to um, steal his thunder on that, but that's, I, I, I'm a I'm a hundred percent, a hundred and twenty percent promoter, advocate, and you know I would present it to anyone and everyone going forward with dealing with Brother Manuel on that project. How are you? If Brother Manuel want to speak on it, you can speak on it. Mm-hmm. My apologies for that. I was on mute. Um, we can say that for another time. I just want just thought it was just very, you know, once you like when we deal with natural resources, man, every nation is trying to control that because if they can control that, they can control infinity amount of wealth. And and you know, to me, it's like anything that deals with the creator. And God is worth fighting for. And if you notice what's going on all over this country, everybody, you know, you hear holy war, you hear all these different things, and everything is, it seems like everyone is just fighting for a position to have dominion. You know, that you know that right that the children of Israel were, were given, everyone's trying to fight, and get it and maintain it and control it. Because once you have what God has, then you have that that domain. Everybody wants it. So, you know, I just thought that was just ironic. Just at the end of the day, that's kind of what I see what's going on. Is that... So, are you? Anyone else has anything that he has to uh, uh, say about that? Anyone else has anything to comment on that? Um, I'm going to yield I... for just a minute because I have to... Uh... Cross over to the other line for a minute. The law nation, uh, brother Gavin again. I, I mean, I would interject on on what he was saying, but I just feel that you know, brother Manuel is totally right, and we need as a people to get some sort of you know, uh, attachment to some sort of resource, especially when it comes to what comes out of the ground. 
or what is a part of the ground. And that's the only way we're going to survive. Whether it's a big catastrophe that happens in the future where, you know, some sort of atomic bomb goes off or just the shift in the economy where you, you, you know, you can't even use so-called the currency that we have, the dollar currency, you know, everybody's going to run to, the, to, to, to want to survive. So they're going to want to run to somewhere where it's natural resources they're going to have to survive off. So instead of us doing it at the last minute, I believe we should be, you know, latching on to it now. And I'm not just talking about land just for your, to put a residence on. But I'll just yield with that. If anyone else want to speak on it, I'll yield. Ooh, dead air. Uh, Shalom, falling on the record, Sister Anisha, Tribe of Judah. Um, definitely resources are very important. I just think it's really sad um, that people are shedding blood for what the Most High gave to everybody. And when you really think about it, if the, the, the earth yields enough produce to feed everyone on it almost seven times over. So there's really no reason why anybody should want for anything. And to be trying to take over land for oil when you can heat your house and you can provide light for your house, electricity based on solar power and wind power is just asinine to me, especially when you think about how much and how many times <clears throat> our government in particular has poisoned the oceans and and how coral reefs, the Great Barrier Reef, is dying because <clears throat> of all the pollutants and contaminants that are being placed in the water systems by the power, the current power structure that is in place. It's rather sickening. I mean, and even if you want to take it to, you know, water resources, if everybody has their own water gathering system, rainwater gathering system, and a way in which um, to recycle the water that's gathered via, you know, rain, then we would be able to conserve that which we have. Um, I don't know. I, I think I might have sent Brother Gavin the link to the biotexture uh, domicile, but there's a gentleman that's actually building these type of houses out of recycled materials where he's gathering rainwater and he has solar panels and wind panels in these biotexture domiciles where inside the house he even has 
plants growing where they harvest year-round. Like, imagine if we had an acre of land, even just an acre, and you put a biotexture domicile on it, and in your living room, you're growing tomatoes and, you know, collard greens and, and cucumbers, and and you have a pond with fish in it, and you're gathering rainwater, and the rainwater is recycled in such a way where, you know, you you can bathe, and then that same water that you use to bathe might um, flush your toilet or wash your clothes, and then the water is recycled and and, and purified again to where the sludge goes to feed your plant and organic life and the rest goes to water your landscape in front of you. I mean, this guy has, like, totally mapped these infrastructures, these domiciles out to a T to where they fun- function organically and and um, green. I mean, there's so many things out there and for us to grab a hold of it. And we just have to stay focused and move forward with clear, crystal clear intent on the program in place. And I think that is where the difference will be made. And I'm sitting here, I was just looking I'm reading some articles that it, it's so sad, like different articles online, they're, you know, where they're talking about people where they're in these war encampments and detention centers, and now in Iraq they're talking about um, these war crimes that are being committed against the children of these Iraqi detainees where some of the children are being sodomized by U.S. troopers in the detention camp and how this information and videos and pictures are being leaked out. And now independent journalists have grabbed hold of it and they're like, you know, blasting the information because, of course, they're appalled and disgusted. Um, It's just so sad that this is the point that man has come to. There's hardly, even the people that are in high-ranking positions in government are not even, they're even in a savage mental state. Um, It's just really, really disturbing. (laughs) And then, you know, of course, you look at all the other sensationalized news that is going on where you have the NFL football player refusing to stand for the national anthem and everybody's going back, you know what, crazy just because he doesn't want to stand. You got this Nate Parker scandal going on from his college days with him and his roommate and some chick and them engaging in some really disgusting behavior and now this report is coming up and tarnishing his image with 
this new, you know, film coming out that 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 he has. It's just overall sad when I look at this just overall general state of mind of people. And it kind of, not it kind of, it makes it crystal clear as the scriptures have defined why there is a difference between people and persons. Um, there are some people that are in high-ranking government positions that should be classified as persons just because they're just savage in the way that they behave and 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 it's appalling. Um, I was reading again the Celestine Prophecy, and it was talking about how we have to look at history in a different type of context. And if it's okay with you guys, um, is it okay if I just read you this one little part where it was talking about history? Is that okay? Yes, ma'am. Okay, give me one second. One second. And, and while the sister is getting herself together, there's something that um, I wanted to share with you guys um, about the slave trade um, in regards to what we're learning in the nation. I, there's a paradigm I wanted to try to create, and I wanted to uh, share that after the sister spoke. And I you. Okay. Thank you, Brother Cedric. I got it together. The chapter is the second chapter. I just literally started reading it again. It's the Celestine Prophecy by um, James Redfield, and the second chapter is called The Longer Now. And um, so just to kind of set it up, this guy is going out to Peru because he heard about the manuscript, and he wants to find out a little bit more about it. So he said as I, he got on a plane with only, you know, he called a travel agent and just jumped on, on a plane after his friend told him about this being script, and he thought he was crazy, like, why am I going out here? I'm not going to find anything. It's probably just going to be a stalemate. So he said, as I made my way through the lounge area, I noticed a tall man with round glasses standing near the window talking to a flight attendant. He glanced at me briefly, then continued speaking. He had dark brown hair and appeared to be about 45 years old. For an instant, I thought I recognized him, but after looking at his features closely, I concluded he was no one I knew. As I walked past, I could hear part of the conversation. Thanks anyway, the man said. I just thought since you traveled to Peru so often that perhaps you had heard something about the manuscript. He turned away and walked towards the front of the plane. I was dumbstruck. Was he speaking of the same manuscript? I walked into the restroom and tried to decide what to do. Part of me wanted to forget about it. Probably he was talking about something else, some other book. I returned to my seat and closed my eyes again, content to write off the incident, glad I didn't have to ask the man what he meant. But as I sat there, I thought about the excitement I had felt at the lake. What if this man actually had information about the manuscript? What might happen then? If I didn't inquire, I would never know. I wavered several more times in my mind, then finally stood up and walked towards the front of the plane, finding him about midway up the aisle. Directly behind him was an empty seat. 
I walked back and told an attendant I wanted to move, then gathered my things and took the seat. After a few minutes, I tapped him on the shoulder. Excuse me, I said. I heard you mention a manuscript. Were you speaking of the one found in Peru? He looked surprised and cautious. Yes, I was, he said sensitively. I introduced myself and explained that a friend had been in Peru recently and had informed me of a manuscript existence. He visibly relaxed and introduced himself as Wayne Dobson, an assistant professor of history from New York University. As we spoke, I noticed a look of irritation coming from the gentleman sitting next to me. He had leaned back in his seat and was attempting to sleep. Have you seen the manuscript, I asked the professor? Parts of it, he said. Have you? No, but my friend told me about the first insight. The man beside me changed his position. Dobson looked his way. Excuse me, sir. I know we're disturbing you. Would it be too much trouble for you to exchange seats with me? No, the man said. That would be preferable. We all stepped into the aisle, and then I slid back into the window seat, and Dobson sat beside me. Tell me what you heard concerning the first insight, Dobson said. I paused for a moment, then trying to sum up in my mind what I understood, I guess the first insight is an awareness of the mysterious occurrences that change one's life, the feeling that some other process is operating. I felt absurd as I said it. Dobson picked up all my discomfort. What do you think of that insight, he asked. I don't know, I said. It doesn't quite fit with our modern-day common sense, does it? Wouldn't you feel better dismissing the whole idea and getting back to thinking about practical matters? I laughed and nodded affirmatively. Well, that's everyone's tendency, even though we occasionally have the clear insight that something more is going on in life, our habitual way of thinking is to consider such ideas unknowable and then to shrug off the awareness altogether. That's why the second insight is necessary. Once we see the historical background to our awareness, it seems more valid. I nodded. Then historian... Then, as a historian, you think the manuscript's prediction of a global transformation is accurate? Yes, as a historian. Yes, but you have to look at history in the correct way. He took a deep breath, believe me. I say this as one who has spent a lot of years studying and teaching history in the wrong way. I used to focus solely on the technological accomplishments of civilization and the great men who brought about this progress. What's wrong with that approach? Nothing as far as it goes, but what's really important is, is the worldview of each historical period, what the people were feeling and thinking. It took me a long time to understand that. History is supposed to provide a knowledge of the longer context within which our lives take place. History is just history is not just the evolution of technology, it is the evolution of thought. By understanding the reality of the people who came before us, we can see why we look at the world the way we do and what our contribution is towards further progress. We can pinpoint where we come in, so to speak, in the longer development of civilization, and that gives us a sense of where we are going. He paused and added, the effect of the second insight is to provide exactly this kind of historical perspective, at least from a point of view of Western thought. It places the manuscript's predictions in a longer context that makes them seem not only plausible, but inevitable. I asked Dobson how many insights he had 
seen, and he told me only the first two. He had found them, he said, after a rumor about the manuscript prompted a short trip to Peru three weeks ago. Once I arrived in Peru, he continued, I met a couple of people who confirmed the manuscript's existence, yada, yada, yada. But this is where it gets interesting. He says, the second insight, he said, puts our current awareness into a longer historical perspective. After all, when the decades of the 90s is over, we'll be finishing up not only the 20th century, but a thousand-year period of history as well. We'll be completing the entire second millennium. Before we in the West can understand where we are and what is going to occur next, we must understand what has really been happening during this current thousand-year period. What does the manuscript say exactly, I ask? It says that at the close of the second millennium, that's now, we will be able to see that entire period of history as a whole, and we will identify a particular preoccupation that developed during the later half of this millennium in what has been called the modern age. Our awareness of coincidence today represents a kind of awakening from this preoccupation. What's the preoccupation, I asked? He gave me a mischievous half smile. Are you ready to relive the millennium? Sure, tell me about it. It's not enough for me to tell you about it. Remember what I said before, to understand history, you must grasp how your everyday view of the world developed, how it was created by the reality of the people who lived before you. It took a thousand years to evolve the modern way of looking at things, and to really understand where you are today, you must take yourself back to the year 1000 and then move forward to the entire millennium experientially as though you actually live through the whole period yourself in a single lifetime. How do I do that? I'll guide you through it. I hesitated for a moment, glancing out the window at the land formations far, far below. Time was already beginning to feel different. I'll try, I said finally. Okay, he replied. Imagine yourself being alive in the year 1000 in what we have called the Middle Ages. The first thing you must understand is that the reality of this time is being defined by the powerful churchmen of the Christian church. Because of their position, these men hold great influence over the minds of the populace. And the world, and the world these churchmen describe as real is, above all, spiritual. They are creating a reality which places their idea about God's plan for mankind at the very center of life. Visualize this, he continued. You find yourself in the class of your father, essentially peasant or aristocrat, and you know that you will always be confined to this class, but regardless of which class you are in or the particular work that you do, you soon realize that that social position is secondary to the spiritual reality of life as defined by the churchmen. Life is about passing a spiritual test, you discover. The churchman explained that God has placed mankind at the center of the universe surrounded by the entire cosmos for one solitary purpose, to win or lose salvation. And in this trial, you must correctly choose between two opposing forces, the force of God and the lurking temptations of the devil. But understand that you don't face this contest alone, he continued. In fact, as a mere individual, you aren't qualified to determine your status in this regard. This is the province of the churchmen. They are there to interpret the scriptures and to tell you every step of the way whether you are in accordance with God or whether you are being duped by Satan. 
If you follow their instructions, you are sure that a rewarding afterlife will follow. But if you fail to heed the course they prescribe, then, well, there is excommunication and certain damnation. Dawson looked around me intensely. The manuscript says that the important thing to understand here is that the that every aspect of the medieval world is defined in otherworldly terms. All the phenomena of life, from the chance thunderstorm or earthquake to the success of crops or the death of a loved one, is defined either as the will of God or as the malice of the devil. There is no concept of weather or geological forces or horticulture or disease. All that comes later. So now you completely believe the churchmen, the world you take for granted, operates solely by spiritual means. He stopped talking and looked around me. Are you there? Yes, I can see that reality. Well, imagine that reality now beginning to break down. What do you mean? The medieval worldview, your worldview, begins to fall apart in the 14th and 15th centuries. First, you notice certain improprieties on the part of the churchmen themselves, secretly violating their vows of chastity, for example, or taking gratuities to look the other way when government officials violate scriptural laws. These improprieties alarm you because these churchmen hold themselves to be the only connection between yourself and God. Remember, they are the only interpreters of Scripture, the sole arbitrators of your salvation. Suddenly, you are in the midst of an outright rebellion. A group led by Martin Luther is calling for a complete break from papal Christianity. The churchmen are corrupt, they say, demanding an end to the churchmen's reign over the minds of the people. New churches are being formed based on the idea that each person should be able to have access to the scriptures personally and to interpret them as they wish with no middlemen. As you watch in disbelief, the rebellion succeeds. The churchmen begin to lose. For centuries, these men define reality, and now before your eyes, they are losing their credibility. Consequently, the whole world is being thrown into question. The clear consensus about the nature of the universe and about humankind's purpose here, based as it was on the churchman's description, is collapsing, leaving you and all other humans in Western culture in a very precarious place. After all, you have grown accustomed to having an authority in your life to define reality, and without that external direction, you feel confused and lost. If the churchman's description of reality and the reason for human existence is wrong, you ask, and what is right? He paused for a moment. Do you see the impact of this collapse on the people of that day? I suppose it was something unsettling, I said. To say the least, he replied. There was a tremendous upheaval. The old worldview was being challenged everywhere. In fact, by the 1600s, astronomers had proved beyond a doubt that the sun and stars did not revolve around the earth as maintained by the church. Clearly, the earth was only one small planet orbiting a minor sun in a galaxy that contained billions of such stars. He leaned towards me. This is important. Mankind has lost its place at the center of God's universe. See the effect this had. Now, when you watch the weather or plants growing or someone suddenly die, what you feel is an anxious bafflement. In the past, you might have said God was responsible or the devil. But as the medieval worldview breaks down, the certainty goes with it. All the things you took for granted now need new definition, especially the nature of God and your relationship to God. With that awareness, he went on, the modern age begins. There is a growing democratic spirit and a mass distrust of papal and royal authority. Definitions of the universe based on speculation or scriptural faith are no longer automatically accepted. In spite of the loss of certainty, 
We didn't want to risk some new group controlling our reality as the churchmen had. If you had been there, you would have participated in the creation of a new mandate for science. A what? He laughed. You you would have looked out on this vast, undefined universe, and you would have thought, as did the thinkers of that day, that we needed a method of consensus building, a way to systematically explore this new world of ours. And you would have called this new way of discovering reality the scientific method, which is nothing more than testing idea about how the universe works, arriving afterward at some conclusion, and then offering this conclusion to others to see if they agree. Then he continued, you would have prepared explorers to go out into this new universe, each armed with the scientific method, and you would have given them their historic mission. Explore this place and find out how it works and what it means that we find ourselves alive here. You knew you had lost your certainty about God in the universe, and because of that, your certainty about the nature of God himself, but you felt you had a method, a consensus building process through which you could discover the nature of everything around you, including God and including the true purpose of mankind's existence on the planet. So you sent these explorers out to find the true nature of your situation and to report back. He paused and looked at me. The manuscript, he said, says that at this point we began the preoccupation from which we are now awakening. We sent these explorers out to bring back a complete explanation of our existence, but because of the of the universe, they weren't able to return right away. What was his preoccupation? Put yourself in that time again, he said. When the scientific method couldn't bring back a new picture of God and of mankind's purpose on the planet, the lack of certainty and meaning affected Western culture deeply. We needed something else to do until our questions were answered. Eventually, we arrived at what seemed to be a very logical solution. We looked at each other and said, well, since our explorers have not yet returned with our true spiritual situation, why not settle into this new world of ours while we're waiting? We are certainly learning enough to manipulate this world for our own benefit, so why not work in the meantime to raise our standard of living, our sense of security in the world? He looked at me and grinned, and that's what we did for centuries ago, Four centuries ago, we shook off our feeling of being lost by taking matters into our own hands, by focusing on conquering the earth and using its resources to better our situation. And only now, as we approach the end of the millennium, can we see what happened. Our focus gradually became a preoccupation. We totally lost ourselves in creating a secular security and economic security to replace the spiritual one we had lost. The question of why we were alive or what was actually going on here spiritually was slowly pushed aside and repressed altogether. He looked at me intensely and said, working to establish a more comfortable style of survival has grown to feel complete in and of itself as a reason to live, and we've gradually methodically forgotten our original question. We've forgotten that we still don't know what we're surviving for. I just thought that spoke to directly what we were talking about. Um, And I see the awakening occurring, Um, but I also see a lot of confusion. And I'm going to yield for any thoughts that might be floating around.
Oh, I'm on mute. I'm sorry. Uh, this is uh, foreign on the record. This is Minister Shedrick Benizri. Um, I just wanted to just say that uh, that is quite a bit of uh, interesting information. Um, and it really says a lot about the person who actually sat down and wrote that is being very observant. And, I mean, even though, I mean, I don't know if it's a fictional or non-fictional book, but for the most part, I can say that he seems to be dead on in terms of uh, seeing the big picture. Um, and it's so interesting, I guess, because you never really had to sit down and think about what he was saying about how we're living in it. We're living in an age of scientific method. Like there at one point in time we were, you know, dealing with uh, the church representing God or being the vicar of what they call Christ for the people and being the intercessor and being the law for the people and the people not having any uh, sense of redemption or salvation but through the church. But because the people didn't have anybody to, uh, because the people were illiterate and didn't have a sense of what spirituality was, only because they didn't know the law for themselves, they relied heavily on the church. But then that become that became a, a, a of a a stepping stone or a, a, a kind of not a stepping stone that became uh, a hindrance to the people, and it drove the people mad because they wanted to know if it was really, really true. So now you have the Protestant Reformation starting to happen. And then you're starting to have all these people break away from the church, and the church is like, uh-uh, no. I got enough. I got I got something else going on. I got I got a way for you guys to get right in line. Let's introduce scientific method. But I feel like the only reason why scientific method was brought along was it. I feel like for some reason it's like a re- almost kind of like a retelling of the Bible in terms of starting from Adam and Eve. It's like it's like Europe's version of the Bible, starting from Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve probably being the church and whoever else, and working this way all up, and then you're dealing with scientific method. Scientific method being them learning what spirituality is through science. But what they fail to realize is science alone does not answer the question of what God is. (laughs) And you know what the funny, interesting thing about what that thing, what that book you just read kind of hinted at is that because they get dead in in the scientific method, they can only do one thing. They can only really resort back to going, they can only resort back to the source. Yes, sir. They can only just go back to the source, and that is the Bible. That is that is only what their scientific method is going to lead them to anyway. It's almost like they tried to say, well, I want to see if the Bible is true. Let's go right. into the scientific method. And then what they end up finding out is that we were on it. Our ancestors did it, and we, and we brought it to a point to where it was already evolutionary, but then once you know, our understudies came into play. The boys came into play. Then you start to see, it's just children. It just seems like children learning the world. You know, through a new set of eyes, and they were able to see what they were able to see. 
But now they have to come into the realization that we were telling the truth. Right. Our were telling the truth about what we saw and what we did. That's what they have to do. That's what they have to come to, in, in, into terms with. Anybody else have anything that they want to say? Uh, if, if I may just add really quick that Definitely. what I realized just reading it um, out loud again is when they started talking about the 14th, 15th century, when the church started to really um, fall apart, it kind of clicked in my mind is that that's when power was being exchanged. Like when we yes. lost power and other people were coming up to take rule, and it was probably a lot of, you know, um, a lot of mythology being mixed in with scripture, and because the general public wasn't allowed access, then it was confusing to them when they started to look at all of these crimes that these supposedly holiers and thou new clergymen were guilty of, and then I found it interesting because I'm thinking, okay, and then after that, everybody wanted to have their hands on the scriptures, so what did King James do? He went and translated the scriptures into every tongue so that everybody could basically read the scriptures on their own and, and discern them. And what's really sad is that they couldn't really discern them. So, like you said, they created this scientific method, sending people out to find the answers, and the answers that were echoed back to them were in the book. And it's finally starting to resonate, which is like, you know, further on in this fictional book, The Celestial Prophecy, it has a couple of encounters with the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church were trying to suppress the manuscript because it gave the populace the freedom to experience the most high in an individual spiritual purpose. It it put the omen on the individual to open themselves up to this greater spiritual awareness. And the Roman Catholic Church, of course, is so interested more in controlling the populace than actually freeing the populace. So every time I read this novel, different truths um, come out of it. And even though it's fictional, I think, you know, it's the way his literary writing style is so intriguing that it brings the scriptural lessons to light really clearly and enjoyably. And with that, I yield. Yes, yes, ma'am. Hold on for a second. I'm trying to unmute Brother Maccabeus. Uh, Aki Manuel, are you on, brother? Do you know how to unmute somebody on uh, Talk Show?
because I've never had to do it. I'm, I've, I've always, you know, just kind of been the person to just uh, be in the background until uh, Priest was off the line, but I don't know how to unmute. Let me see something right quick, you guys. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.